Hi, this is filmmaker and author Michael Morin. Whenever I'm not riding my bike around the Davis campus, I'm listening to KDVS College Radio right here. FM. Cool. This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We are going to do some roundup of various miscellaneous uh, items as we like to do once a month, and this is going to be, I think, uh, the time we do that for the month of October. With a ramp-up to the November election, we expect to have quite a lot of political stuff to deal with in the next few weeks. But today, let's, uh, let's, just, let's just do a recap of some things that are piling up. Let us commence the program as we like to do it on this date in history. On this date in history, which is October 5th in the year 1795, during the White Terror in revolutionary France, royalists attempted to seize power in Paris and were crushed by the young Napoleon Bonaparte, who managed to later seize power himself. On October 5, 1923, the first Cepheid variable star was identified by American astronomer Edwin Hubble. Because the variability in these stars depends upon their actual brightness, they were able to be used later to measure distances across the universe. And on this date in 1950, American comedian Groucho Marx's game show, You Bet Your Life, made its television debut. Prior to this, Groucho had made 13 motion pictures along with his brothers, Harpo, Chico, and sometimes Zeppo. Two of the Marx Brothers' efforts, in particular Duck Soup and A Night at the Opera, are considered uh, two of the great movie comedies of all time. And on tomorrow's date in history, which is October 6th in 1949, Iva Toguri Dakino, also known as Tokyo Rose, was sentenced to 10 years in prison for treason. So happens that Iva Toguri Dakino passed away a few weeks ago at the age of 90. Tokyo Rose was the name given to a female radio broadcaster responsible for anti-U.S. transmissions intended to demoralize soldiers fighting in the Pacific Theater. Dikino was the only American citizen identified among the potential suspects. The FBI and Army conducted an investigation to determine whether Dikino had committed crimes against the U.S., and authorities decided that the evidence then known did not merit prosecution, and she was released. A subsequent public furor convinced the Justice Department that the matter should be re-examined, and she was arrested in Yokohama in 1945 and tried. In 1949, then, she became the seventh person convicted of treason in American history and served six years in prison. But doubts about her possible role as Tokyo Rose later surfaced, and she was pardoned by President Gerald Ford in 1977. Ron Yates Dean of the College of Communications at the University of Illinois, is credited with helping win her pardon. As a reporter at the Chicago Tribune, Yates found that DeKino's accusers said they'd been pressured by prosecutors to lie. And now you know the rest of the story. 
Our statistic of the day, and I think we've used it before, but let's use it again, is that according to the federal government projections, a strong economy will lower the U.S. deficit to only $260 billion this year. If it comes in at $260 billion, this will be the lowest deficit since the first Bush budget of $158 billion deficit in 2002. This first deficit followed four years of government surpluses. If you're keeping track, this is down from last year's $318 billion and far below the record $413 billion deficit posted in 2004. I'm sure many notable Republican conservatives are spinning in their graves at these numbers. And speaking of conservatives, we, uh, we mentioned in last week's program we hope to speak to C.C. Goldwater. We're going to try and do that in the next couple weeks about the HBO special currently available titled Mr. Conservative, which is about her grandfather, Senator Barry Goldwater. I've had a chance to see this HBO special, and it is a fantastic documentary. I can't recommend it highly enough, and I really look forward to speaking with C.C. Goldwater about it for you the KDVS listening public, and also for our rebroadcast, the KDRT listening public. Our quote of the day comes from James Lovelock, the originator of the Gaia Hypothesis, who said, We live in a nuclear-powered universe. We're the oddballs by getting energy from burning carbon. Lovelock said this backing his argument that nuclear power will solve the world's energy problems. Well, we certainly agree if we're talking about fusion power, something we haven't spent a whole lot of dough on for the past three decades. And actually, our bonus quote of the day is as follows. That's one small step for a man, one giant leap for mankind. Apparently, an Australian computer programmer has found the missing A from Armstrong's famous first words from the moon in 1969. When the world heard, that's one small step for man. One giant leap for mankind, which never has made any sense. Well, Armstrong has claimed that he said it correctly, and apparently there was a dropout in the communication while the world was listening. At least that's what this uh, computer programmer uh, has dug out of the uh, data. Thanks to some, uh, some high-tech sound editing software, computer programmer Peter Shan Ford says that by examining a graphical representation of the famous phrase that the missing A uh, was spoken and transmitted. Now, I can't explain why it wasn't heard by the public, but, uh, but there you have it. Neil Armstrong has maintained that he intended to say it properly and believes he did so. And our headline of, of the day is as follows. Flustered Bush misses Air Force One flight. Dateline Camp Springs, Maryland. Despite sprinting through Andrews Air Force Base South Terminal, President Bush narrowly missed his Air Force One flight to Boise earlier today after arriving just moments after the plane's doors had closed. The 12-person crew was not able to accommodate the president due to strict federal guidelines requiring all passengers to arrive at their departure gate 15 minutes prior to takeoff. Guidelines, flight officials say, are especially important considering heightened security around the president. That, of course, is our joke of the day. We want to refer you to the Onion website for the picture of a bewildered-looking Bush standing on the tarmac with the missing Air Force One. All right, special almanac entry to today's program. Uh, we hope you caught the occultation of the planet Uranus by the moon last night. 
course, to have done that, you would have had to have been somewhere in Australia. If any amateur astronomers are listening from Australia, New Zealand, or the Southern Hemisphere, please drop us a line at info at radioparallax.com and let us know how that went. Yours truly was astounded to have looked up occultation uh, in Wikipedia and discovered that uh, on numerous occasions in history, one planet has actually passed in front of another planet. Uh, this is not something you think would happen more than once in a, in, a, in a blue moon, but actually it's a fairly common occurrence, meaning like, well, you know, on the average, maybe every 40 or 50 years. Unfortunately, the next such event takes place in 2065. Of course, a lot of you out there listening are still going to be around 59 years from now, so mark that one on your calendar. Let's do the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to The Week magazine, last week was a good week for performance art. After a German art student snuck into a line of China's famous terracotta warriors in Shan, the student, Pablo Wendell, stood among the clay soldiers for several minutes, motionless and dressed in a military costume, until he was spotted and arrested. The magazine judged it a bad week for idol worship after a retired Kansas City man who reveres Oprah Winfrey spent $65,000 on buttons and bumper stickers calling on the talk show goddess to run for president. Winfrey's lawyers threatened to sue him for copyright infringement. And although Mr. McMillan and I are debating back and forth as to whether to proceed with this one, we would note that a couple weeks ago it was an ugly week for legal loopholes after sexual assault charges were dropped against three Wisconsin youths who tried to dig up a recently buried 29-year-old woman's corpse so they could have sex with it. Under Wisconsin law, the judge pointed out, necrophilia is not a crime. You know, we've talked in this program about unwanted government intrusions in our lives and perhaps some unnecessary regulations. But I want to say, if necrophilia is not a crime, then legislators in Wisconsin and elsewhere, I think, need to get busy. Because we think that one's pretty legit. All right, that's the good, the bad, and the ugly. All right, this one is uh, probably from the Not Only in America file. I'm just going to read this one as written. London, three-year-old Jack Neal loves cars. So much so that while his mother's back was turned, he bought a pink Nissan Figaro for nearly $16,000 on eBay. I'd just come off the computer and thought I'd logged off. His mother, Rachel, told the British Broadcasting Corporation, Jack jumped straight into the chair, went in and found the page and bought the car. 
Unable to read, the youngster likely used the buy it now option to make the purchase. <laughs> the first the Neals heard about the sale was when they received an email from auto dealer David Jones, who thought he'd made his first internet sale. Jones, uh, to his credit, saw the funny side of the whole deal and said he would not hold the Neals to their purchase. And speaking of unwise purchases, we have the following. GOP saving funds for Iraq Victory Party. Dateline Washington, D.C., New York Times. Even as the Bush administration urges Americans to stay the course in Iraq, Republicans in Congress have put down a quiet marker in the apparent hope that V.I. Day might be only months away. Tucked away in the fine print in the military spending bill for this past year was a lump sum of $20 million to pay for a celebration in the nation's capital, quote, for commemoration of success, unquote, in Iraq and Afghanistan. Not surprisingly, the money has not yet been spent. But Republican legislators have thoughtfully introduced a paragraph that will cause this uh, fund to roll over into 2007. Yes, apparently Republicans see that things are going so well over there that victory is imminent. The question which we keep asking on Radio Parallax is, how will we know? Um, we're a little vague on what exactly the goal is we're trying to achieve in Iraq so that we'll know when to start popping the champagne and celebrate that victory. But, uh, you know, apparently it's clearer in some Republican minds than it is in ours. But I do wish... They'd be good enough to share that information with the general public. In a somewhat related story of rose-colored glasses, we would note that U.S. President George W. Bush praised his Kazakh counterpart, Nursultan Nazarbayev, last week for transforming the former Soviet Republic of Kazakhstan into a free nation. President Nazarbayev came to Washington and economic ties between the U.S. and oil-rich Kazakhstan topped the agenda. It should be noted that in Kazakhstan, the media is controlled by the state, and since the country achieved independence in December of 1991, no election has been seen as free or fair. Kazakhstan is known internationally for a political system in which dissent is stifled. Nazarbayev has been his country's only leader since it achieved independence in 1991, and although it's felt he has brought some stability and prosperity to his country, Kazakhstan's record on democracy and protecting human rights is regarded as poor. Nazarbayev was re-elected with 91% of the vote last December. Radio Parallax cannot confirm the rumor that his re-election was assisted by his brother Jeb Nazarbayev. We got a lot of politics to talk about in our second segment, but let, let's, I think, get out a little early here in segment number one, referring to a very funny item we culled out of the Sacramento News and Review a few weeks back. The uh, item was from the unfiltered section of the uh, paper titled Poetic License. Let me quote from it. What's in a name? That which we call a Natomas housing development by any other name would still look like cookie-cutter homes in the flood zone. Follow the colorful flags and giant balloons and you'll find a sales office with glossy brochures and cheerful representatives eager to put a positive slant on anything. Tiny backyard becomes cozy terrace. Man-made lake means natural setting. And strip mall nearby indicates big city at your doorstep. The SNNR asks tough questions like, Does at Creekside mean there's a creek nearby? 
and watched sales reps scramble. The News and Review looked into several communities. They looked at Maplewood at West Park and discovered that the tranquil, shady streets aren't shaded by maple trees. But a sales rep said, you're free to plant them in your backyard. This set reminds us of the quote by writer Bill Vaughn that suburbia is where the developer bulldozes out the trees, then names the streets after them. The community called Cabana in Antelope, uh, well, they noted that the floor plans include the Islander, the Tropicana, and the Calypso. But don't go looking for Cabana boys, said the paper, because Antelope isn't near the coast. (laughs) The investigation of Aspen Village noted that although models are named after ski resorts like North Star and Kirkwood, the sales rep confirmed that they don't get a lot of snow in Sacramento's Aspen Village. Apparently in Rancho Cordova, there's a community called Artistry at Anatolia. Create a masterpiece while living in an artistry home, said a sales rep, because, um, well, there's no art museums nearby, but maybe in 10 years. And out in Lincoln, there was both Quail Creek at Lincoln Crossing, where the brochure noted that residents will truly enjoy living in a town that takes pride in the charm of yesterday, like when quail may have inhabited the area, said a sales rep. Before the construction, that is. And my personal favorite, Hawks Landing in Lincoln. (laughs) Yes, said a sales rep. Two hawks had flown over the development. I can't tell who is the author here of the unfiltered section, but to whoever it was, we say, well done. Let's take a short break. I'm Douglas Everett. This is Radio Parallax. Thank you.